Amen. Every once in a while, you need to get, you just got to go take it back. Some of them old school Baptist songs, right on King Jesus. Amen. Uh, if you will, would you stand with me? Open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 1. When you get there, say amen. If you're not there yet, say hold on. Amen. Let's go on and and get started. I'm going to start us off and you guys join in and keep reading. Hear the word of the Lord. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Keep reading. Amen. If I could tag our text today, it would be just a simple phrase, the blessed life, the blessed life. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful, as has been said before, that the extent of your love is lavished upon us through Christ's finished work on the cross. We cannot know you without the work that was done through Jesus, for he said, this is eternal life that you may Know the Father and his Son whom he sent. And you are the perfect representation of who God is. You show us who the Father is, and that's why you say that there is life only in you. Under no name can man be saved except but by yours. And so, Father, we just pray that you would instruct us this day on how our lives are supposed to, to look in light of the great work that you accomplished on the cross. So help us, Father, to understand what it means to live the blessed life. Help us to understand what true prosperous living actually looks like. And so we pray that we would hear from you by your word today. In Christ's name, amen. 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 You may be seated. Just a couple of months ago, uh, all of America was preparing Uh, to find out the numbers for the Powerball jackpot. Uh, I'm not going to ask how many of you went out and bought tickets, um, but I was thinking about it. Uh, $1.4 billion is a whole lot of money. And if you're anything like me, you already were thinking about what you would pay and what you would buy. I had already thought in my mind, what would the annuity payments be if I got the payout? How much would the monthly income be? And I knew down to the cents how much I owed uh, to Sally Mae, uh, which I know some of y'all feel me on that. Uh, I knew how much was left on my mortgage and my car note. I had figured out how much I was going to set aside for my kids. Now, I didn't buy any tickets, but I thought about it. Um, (laughs) 
But you know, you know what's funny? Uh, a self-made millionaire, Mark Cuban, uh, had a couple suggestions for people to think through, especially those people who would win. Now, if you uh, know anything about Mark Cuban, he's uh, the, Dallas, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, the basketball team, or, or maybe you watch Shark Tank and you see him on the panel sitting there. Uh, but here's, I, I found it very interesting what he told, what he, what he, the advice he would give to those who would win. This is what he said. He said, first, hire a tax attorney. Don't take the lump sum. You don't want to blow it in all one spot. If you weren't happy yesterday, you won't be happy tomorrow. It's money. It's not happiness. If you were happy yesterday, you're going to be a whole lot happier tomorrow. It's money. Life gets easier when you don't have to worry about bills. Tell all your friends and relatives no. They will ask. Tell them no. If you are close to them, you already know who needs help and what they need. Feel free to help some, but talk to your accountant before you do anything. And remember this, no one needs $1 million for anything, and no one needs 100000 for anything. Anyone who asks is not your friend. You don't become a smart investor when you win the lottery. Don't make investments. You can put it in the bank and live comfortably forever. You will sleep a whole lot better knowing you won't lose money. Basically, to summarize what he was saying was, get used to saying no to some things. There's something I realized as I was reading his comments, and that's this. People with a whole lot of money are very frugal, and they don't spend a lot of money. If you need to look any further, all you got to do is check Kanye West's Twitter feed. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, this past week, he asked Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of, and founder of Facebook, uh, for a whole lot of millions of dollars so that he could share his creative genius with the world. But there was something very particular that Kanye said that struck me. He said this, if I spent my money on my ideas, I could not afford to take care of my family. Also, for anyone else that has money, they know the first rule is to use other people's money. And I thought that was very intriguing because it brought me to this understanding. Even the world knows that they need to say no to some things. And see, here in Psalm chapter 1, we come to a fitting introduction, a summary about two types of ways to live. There are only two types of people in this world. There are the righteous and there are the wicked. There is no in-between. There are only two choices in which to live before the Lord. The way of the righteous or the way of the wicked, there are no in-betweens. And this brings me to my first and only point this morning. The blessed man prospers because he delights in centering his life on the instruction of God's word. I'll read it again. The blessed man prospers because he delights in centering his life on the instruction of God's word. Look, look with me at verse 1. It says, blessed is the man. Now, if I could draw your attention to that word blessed, it's a, it's a strong exclamation, exclamation of uh, excitement, of joy. The, the literal translation is, oh, the happiness. Blessed is the man. But, but I like how one commentator defines it. He says, he says blessed is to be filled with God-defined benefits. Did you hear that? To be blessed means to be filled with god defined benefits. Now, Pastor Kurt, what are God-defined benefits? I'm glad you asked. These, 
These benefits could be circumstantial. A nice house, a working car. Notice I didn't say just a car, but a working car. <laughs> a loving family, a good paying job. The ability to pay your bills on time. Good health. But let, let me not stop there lest I entertain you with a small view of our God. See, to be filled with God-defined benefits also means that you have the ability to endure suffering and difficulty without doubting God and his goodness. To be filled with God-defined benefits means that you can enjoy life's pleasures without being licentious. To be filled with God-defined benefits means that you find contentment in every situation. It means that you display a faithful resolve in the face of opposition to be filled with God-defined benefits simply means that no matter what's going on in your life, you take joy and have peace knowing that your God loves you and supplies every one of your needs. See, the first rule of being the blessed man is you've got to learn how to say no to some things. And as the psalmist continues on, he says, the blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Hear hear this this phrase here. It it means he does not behave as wicked people say he should. That that word counsel means to get advice or instruction from. To walk means to live one's life or to behave. And the idea that the psalmist is portraying here is when you don't walk in the counsel of the wicked or how the, 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 the King James Version says, not in the counsel of the ungodly, It means that you don't center your life on the advice from people who reject God and his ways. It means that you have a filter of being able to identify and discern that which is godly wisdom and that which is not. In the late 90s and early 2000s, I used to listen to a whole lot of R&B. I wasn't really a a hip-hop guy. I was more on the R&B side. Now, my mom's sitting here, and I wasn't allowed to listen to hip-hop and R&B back in those days, but I did it anyway. I'm sorry, Mom. (laughs) But if you know anything about 90s R&B, then you know, as a single young man, you ain't got no business listening to it. But, but what I was, my, my idea of relationships and how to interact with the opposite sex was being shaped by what I was hearing through Mint Condition and Keith Sweat and New Edition and H-Town and Jodeci. And I could go on and on with the list. Some of you shaking your head, which means I, I know all of y'all ain't married in here, so y'all don't need to be listening to them either. <laughs> But, but what was shaped in my mind was a very romanticized, over-sexualized understanding of what it meant to be in relationship with the opposite sex. Where are you getting your advice from? He doesn't just stop there. He said the blessed man does not stand in the way of sinners. He doesn't imitate their life. He doesn't imitate their behavior. If you were with us when we uh, talked through 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, Paul was writing this letter to Timothy and he was explaining 
uh, what people would do. He said, there's going to come a day when people, when their ears, will, they'll want their ears to be tickled and they will no longer listen to sound or healthy teaching. And he, he says, he says, I know what they're going to do, but as for you, and, and here the psalmist is making that same exclaim. He's saying, I don't want you to imitate your life because there needs to be a clear distinction between how you live your life and how the world lives their lives standing in the way of sinners. But then he goes on, the blessed man does not sit in the seat of scoffers. He doesn't, he doesn't look down upon and condescend and make a mockery of those who walk with the Lord and those who seek to serve God. He says, the blessed man doesn't do these things. There's a clear distinction. He says, to, to avoid walking, standing, and sitting with the wicked is simply to avoid participation in their way of life. The truth is, many of us don't even know sometimes that we're participating. We spend so much time watching TV shows. I had to give up Scandal. Not because not it was bothering me, but, but there was so much, the, the messages that were being sent out were so contrary to God's word. It just got to the point where the Holy Spirit was like, you can't watch that no more. There needs to be some resolve in your soul that says, man, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to close off my soul from even being unpurposefully influenced by the world. Sometimes we just turn our brains off and we just think we're just enjoying entertainment and enjoying the world, not knowing that you're quickly being slid in a, a little message. And the longer it's being filtered to you, the more you begin to receive it. And you don't even know that your ideals begin to change. The way you think about things begins to change. So the question on the floor is, who has your ear? Who is shaping your understanding of your values? Who tells you how to think about race? Or politics? Sexuality? Who tells you what it means to be a man? How to live as a godly woman? What do you do when people get on your nerves? Because they will. What do you do when you're lonely and you want to be comforted? What do you run to? What happens when you're in a marriage that's difficult and you don't want to be in it anymore? See, at some point you've got to make the decision to know and believe and follow God's word and make a clear distinction between your life and the life that the world wants you to live. I, I love Romans chapter 12, verse 2, one of my favorite verses. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may be able to discern what the perfect will of God is. See, in, in a simple statement, basically what Paul's saying is right thinking produces right behavior. Until you can think rightly about some things, your behavior won't change. See, see, many of you think just because you read the Bible that your thinking is going to change. But if you're like me, I didn't really start walking with the Lord till I was about 20 years old, which meant I spent about 20 years of my life being nurtured by worldly thinking. That thinking does not just go away. That's why he says you need to be transformed in your mind. Everything that you think about everything needs to change. 
That's why Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. See, knowledge starts with an understanding, a proper understanding of who God is and what he thinks about things. Because when you know what God thinks about things, then you can know how you think about things. But then he gets here to uh, the end of, of chapter, uh, sorry, of verse, of verse 1, and he contrasts the blessed man. So he, he lays out the blessed man and, and what it means to be blessed and uh, what the blessed man is not supposed to do. But then he starts verse 2 with the word, but in light of everything that I told you the blessed man is not, now I'm going to tell you what the blessed man is. Just like I told you what the blessed man does not do, I'm going to tell you what the blessed man does. And he says, but his delight, his satisfaction, his joy, his pleasure is in the law of the Lord or the instruction of the Lord. And then he says, and on his law, he meditates day and night. That word meditates means to read carefully, to intensively read and study and, and, and pour over. You know, it's funny that in uh, the Lord tells Joshua this, almost the same exact thing in Joshua chapter 1. He says, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. So that, so that, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Listen to what he tells Joshua. He says, he had to warn the people a whole lot of times. See, he, he said, when you go into the land you're going to be tempted to wild out because you've already been incubated in Egypt with all of their perverted nonsense and their wrong ideals of God. And over in Canaan, there's going to be a lot of perversion and wrong ideals of God. That's why I had you stay in the wilderness for 40 years so I could put you in a season of detox. And then when I get ready to send you back out, I need you to know if you're careful to do according to all that is in my word and all that I'm instructing you, you will have success and make your way prosperous. But, but notice that success here and prosperity here is directly tied to obedience to God's word. Psalm 119.9 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Verse 11, he says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against it. There's this understanding that in, in order for you to walk in purity, in order for you to walk in holiness, you need to know God's word. And to know God's word, you need to meditate on it. It needs to be stored in your heart. See, many people come and ask me, man, I'm struggling with this sin. And I, 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 I can't seem to get rid of it. And, and my first question is, how much time are you spending reading God's word? And I can almost guarantee you, guarantee you, most of the time, that person is saying, man, I can't remember the last time. I, I'm not in his word consistency, consistently enough. There's a direct correlation between reading and meditating and obeying God's word and holiness. Yes. See, but the issue is, some of us, we, you know, as much as we say we fight sin, some of us, we like our sin too much. See, the problem oftentimes is that we kidnap our sin when we should be destroying it. What, what do I mean by that? Well, 
If you know anything, I have, I have three children, two girls and, and a boy. And my son, uh, if, if you know who he is, you'll notice that 95% of the time he has his cape on. <laughs> and some of you have come up and, and called him Superman. He doesn't like that because he's Batman. <laughs> and the truth of the matter is, I'm beginning to believe he really thinks he's Batman. <laughs> when we're at home, he doesn't call me daddy anymore. He calls me Superman because he watches the Justice League and they're friends. So there's this one episode of the Justice League. Lex Luthor, Superman's arch rival, has, he's gathered this, other gr this group of villains and, and criminals and they're gonna take down the Justice League. And Batman decides to go out on his, home, his own to try to capture this entire group by himself. And what he didn't account for was Joker showing up. That Joker is Batman's arch nemesis. And Joker knows how Batman thinks. And so Joker got there, they set up this trap for Batman, they caught him, uh, they tie him up to this, this metal aluminum kind of frame and he's stuck there and he has a stasis field over his head. Now the stasis field, for any of you know, my, you know, there's, a, there's a, a, a Marvin Manhunter who's a Martian who's part of Justice League and he can, he's a telepath so he would know where Batman was so they had to remove all that. Sorry, I'm giving context, you know, for, in case you wanna go watch the episode. But, uh, so they have the, sta the stasis fill there. Joker pulls out his gun and he's ready to kill Batman and Lex Luthor stops him. Lex Luthor says, we don't have to kill him. And Joker says, if you know what I know about Batman, you wouldn't wait, you'd kill him now. See, the problem with us is we let sin hang around too much. We, we indulge it. We think we have it under control. We underestimate what sin is capable of. So some, just like Batman got away, sometimes we think we can kind of keep our sin in the background and we can control it. And unbeknownst to us, it always escapes back into our lives. And see, God's word kills sin off at the root. And when you don't go to God's word, then you let sin hang around in your life. All you do is merely kidnap it for a season until it finds a way to escape, and it will always escape. Will you walk in obedience to God's word? See, the, the lesson here is it's not always about learning new stuff. It's, it's about applying what you already know. See, some, some of us, we're looking, at that, we're looking at that mature Christian, and we're looking at their life, and we're watching their life, and we're like, man, how do I get there? How, how do I get to a place of spiritual maturity where I can be like them? The only thing that separates them from you is consistency. See, they've learned how to apply God's word over and over and over again, from day to day, from week to week, from month to month, year to year, they've gotten used to applying God's word and they've developed a rhythm of consistency. And as young believers, sometimes we come in and we're looking for a new word that's gonna help us out when you already have the word that you need. All you have to do is walk in it. See, the Christian life is exciting because God takes us through new trials. 
But the monotony of the Christian life is that you still have to apply the same, the sameness of God's word. Because remember, he's an unchanging God. His word never changes. So even though circumstances change, even though situations change, you need to apply the same word of God to your soul each and every time. Consistency in obeying God's word. The word of God is all that you need. See, I love that old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. It says, it says all that I have needed, thy word has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. The blessed man delights, takes joy in the law of the Lord, and he, he meditates on it. But look what it says in verse 3. It begins to give some characteristics of what the blessed man's life looks like. It says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water. The blessed man is stable. See, this idea of streams of water has, has irrigation canals in mind. In the ancient, ancient Middle Eastern countries, they would use these canals to run water, especially in Egypt from the Nile, throughout the valley so that it would touch all the parts of vegetation so that they could get the nutrients from the water that was needed to be healthy and, 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 and firm. And if you can picture a tree next to a river, you can see that its roots are stronger. Its trunk is thicker. There's stability there because it's getting what it needs at that present moment. The blessed man is stable. Look what else it says. It says he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. The blessed man is productive. But I like how God's word says it, it yields its fruit and its season, right? Now, Notice this about fruit first. Uh, when a tree bears fruit, the fruit is not for the tree, but for others. When the faithful prosper, it is not for himself, nor is the prospering even necessarily material, but he succeeds in bringing benefit to others. When you think about the fruit that grows on a tree, as long as that fruit is connected to the branch, it's continuing to get nutrients and resources and so the tree is providing the fruit with everything it needs to survive but it doesn't go back the other way the fruit isn't doing anything beneficial for the tree so when the tree produces fruit it's not for itself but for somebody else see the blessed man is a benefit to others but notice it says, it's fruit in its season. Now, I know we have the habit sometimes of comparing our lives with everybody else's life. But right here, the Bible makes it very clear that the blessed man's fruit is allotted to him based on what God has called him to do. And so you can't compare your fruit to what somebody else's fruit looks like. Because... God hasn't called you to do what he's called them to do. The concern is not that your fruit looks the same. The concern is, are you being fruitful where God has you and with what he's called you to do it? The blessed man is productive. Then he says, and its leaf does not wither. The blessed man is healthy. Withering denotes that idea of 
dying. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Later on in chapter 15, verse 10, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. The longer you are disconnected from God's word, the more susceptible you are to influence from the world. You are either growing closer to God or drifting further away from him. There's no such thing as a stagnant Christian. See, stagnancy means that you were proceeding and something ultimately slowed you down and hindered you from continuing to go further. That's not the Christian walk. Either you're moving closer to God or you're drifting away. There's only two options. The blessed man is healthy. But look what he says in verse 4. He, he makes a sharp contrast here, and he goes back to what the wicked are like. He said, but the wicked are not so. One translation says that it's so strong. The contrast is so strong. It says the wicked are not like this. They're not like this at all. The wicked are not so. Everything that he just described in verse 2 and 3 about the blessed man, how he delights in the law, uh, law of the Lord, how he meditates on God's word, how he centers his life on the instruction of God's word, how he's productive and healthy and stable. He says the wicked aren't like this at all. He said they are like chaff, which the wind drives away, meaning they're useless. There's, there's nothing of value to what they do. There's nothing of value to what they hold on to. See, they, they build their foundation on what the song says, on sinking sand. Jesus says he was preaching his sermon on the mount. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like the wise man who builds his house on the rock. And anyone else who listens to my words, hears my words, and does not do them, it's like the fool. And what he was trying to picture was uh, around the Sea of Galilee, the, the, the bedrock on the, the surface, the sand on the surface looked hard, and it appeared hard. And so a fool would just set his foundation through the top layer of the surface. The wise man knew that the top layer of surface was just merely the appearance of stability. And so he would dig to the secondary level of rock and build his surface, build his foundation in there. Now, when the storms would come, what used to appear like it was stable ground now gets driven away by the storms. But the man who understood what he needed to do and built his foundation into that secondary level of rock was stable. He's saying here that the wicked are not so. They don't hear my words and obey them. They reject me at all costs. He says, and everything that they value is useless. Everything that they put their stock into is useless. There was a story of a child uh, who got his hand stuck in a vase. And his parents were listening to him scream and they ran into the other room and they tried with all their might to pull, out, pull his hand out of the vase. Right? Now, this is a very, very expensive vase, right? one of the prized possessions of the house. And so they're trying to pull his hand out of the vase, and the, the more they pulled, 
the, the louder he screamed. Uh, and so if you were like anything in, in my house, you might have went and got some, some Crisco. <laughs> to rubber. I know y'all don't use Crisco no more because of the health and stuff, but you can't fry better chicken than in some Crisco. <laughs> Somebody needs to take that home with them this, this morning. But anyway, you would grab some Crisco or something to put on the, the vase and around your wrist and, and get it out. And so they tried everything they could, and they could not get his hand out of this vase. And they came to the conclusion that they had to break this very expensive vase. So they broke it, and little did they know that their son's hand was in a fist. And that's why he couldn't get his hand out of the vase. The son had looked down into the vase and saw a nice shiny penny and stuck his hand in to get the penny. And he was trying to get the penny out, and so in order for him to hold on to the penny, he had to keep his hand in a fist. This is what it looks like before the Lord to be wicked. You don't realize that the very thing that you're holding on to is worthless. As believers, sometimes we're, we're tempted to look at their lives. We look at what appears to be success, what appears to be prosperity. But money doesn't mean blessing. Bigger house doesn't mean blessing. Promotion on the job doesn't mean blessing. Twitter followers and Facebook likes don't mean Blessing. See, the blessed man doesn't set his view horizontally. Because when, when you set your view horizontally, the only thing you're looking at is people. See, the, the blessed man knows that if he wants something greater for his life, he's got to have a vertical view. Verse 5, look with me. It says this. It says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. See, the difference between the wicked and, and the righteous is when Jesus was hanging up on the cross, his last words were, Tetelestai. It is, fi it is finished. And that word literally can be translated not guilty. Which means that those who have been saved by grace, who have received the righteousness from Christ that was his, they can be acquitted of all their crimes. So when, when you as a child of God stand before God Most High, he can look at you because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ and say, not guilty. Come on in. But here the psalmist is making very clear that the wicked cannot stand in the judgment, which means they will not be acquitted for their crimes, which means they will experience the eternal wrath of God for all of eternity. Then he goes on and says, he says, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Jesus talks this, about this idea often when he says he's going to separate those who, long, those who belong to God and those who don't. 
See, it's easy to come in here on a packed church on Sunday morning and just fit in. You can look like you're Christian. You can dress like you're Christian. You can talk like you're Christian. You can show up to life group and you can serve in a ministry. But on that day, the Lord will separate those who belong to him and those who don't. There will be no blending in with the crowd, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Then he goes on in verse 6, and he says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. See, I, I love this idea because if, if you know about Jesus and his I am statements in the book of John, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. See, this, this way is known intimately because Jesus himself talked about the way. There's a way that is narrow and straight, and there's another way that is broad and leads to destruction. It's if you want to know the way, you've got to know Jesus. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. See, at the end of the day, we, we've got to know where our value lies. What, in, what do you value in your life? What do, is, it, is it the approval of man? Is it riches and material things? Would you rather have the love and affection and attention of God's creation rather than the creator? What do you value? There was a father, older in his years, preparing to celebrate his 75th birthday. He had uh, lived a very successful life, was happily married, raised three beautiful sons, handed the family business down, uh, or the family business was handed down to him throughout the years. Uh, so he had been running it up until this point, and he came to the point where he was about to retire. And so he had a decision to make. Which one of my sons am I going to leave this company to? It was a hard decision because all of his sons were worthy of consideration. He knew he could trust them to take the company into great success when he passed. The only thing holding him up, him up from making his decision was the fact that they shared different value systems. So on that birthday, he called his sons into the, the next room and he said to them, here are three boxes, all of equal size. And I want you to put in your box what you think is most valuable from this company. So they're a little confused, but as the weeks go on, the employees at the job could tell that the, the boys were in a competitive spirit. One son was running back from department to department, just all over the place. The other son would carry his box with him wherever he went. The last son just left his box on his desk. And so after a few weeks, they come back, and they're about to have dinner. The, the father calls his sons back into the room again, and he says, who would like to go first showing me what's in your box? And before he could answer, the, the one son jumps to his feet and says, Father, I'll go first. So he opens his box. The father looks down inside, and 
he sees the ledger from the business. He says, Dad, there's nothing more important than the bottom line. So the father says, oh, okay, this makes sense. And so he asked the second son, son, what's, where's your box? And the son said, it's outside on the flatbed, the, fat, the flatbed truck. And so the father peers out the window and the son has a boat sitting out there and a flatbed truck. And he's got 10 employees with bigger boxes than the one the father gave him with things filled inside to bring into the house. And there's two armed guards sitting next to a case. And the father says, what's in the case? And he says, all of my wife's most expensive jewels. And so the father, somewhat in disappointment, says, don't bring anything in. And with a tone of frustration, he asks the third son, what's in your box? And the son hands him the box, the father opens it, and he looks down into the box, and to his surprise, there's nothing in there. And he looks up at his son in amazement and says, what, what, why is there nothing in your box? And the son says, father, could I fit in this box the loyalty of our customers because of our, the integrity of our business practices? Could I fit in this box the faithfulness that you've shown to me over the years? Could I fit in this box the love that you and mom have showed me? Could I fit in this box the families of all the employees who benefited from higher paying wages and stability in their job? Could I fit all of those things in this box? No, I could not. Because all of these things are the product of what's standing here before you. There will come a day when we'll stand before the Lord and he's going to ask you, what's in your box? And for your sake and mine, I pray our box is empty. Let's pray. Father God, how great it is and awesome it is to know you and your ways. On that great day, there will be no excuse for why we didn't follow you in humble submission. Not only did you send your son to die for our sins, but you left a record for us. You left your word, your unchanging word for us to know, for us to know intimately that we might hide it in our hearts so that we wouldn't sin against it. Help us, O oh God, to do all that you've commanded in your word so that our way may be blessed and prosperous. Help us to love your word, O oh God, and love your instruction and meditate on it day and night so that we might walk in purity before you. Help us to have discerning wisdom about where our values lie, not chasing the things of this world but doing the hard work of saying no so that we might walk in an honorable way as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, for sending your precious Holy Spirit to empower us so that we can say no to sin and yes to God. We thank you, O oh God, for all that you've given us. Help us to be content with everything that we have. Help us to know that no matter what our lives look like, whether we have lots of money or not, whether our family likes us or not, no matter where we are in our lives, God, help us to see that we are blessed because of what you've done.
Encourage our souls this day, O Lord. That we might be able to discern the will of our God. And that we might honor you through our life, through our lips, even through our minds. And so, Father, we pray all of these things in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.